Sean Mitchell, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate jumping on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So for those who don't know, Sharon is the Cook County Public Defender in charge of that humongous office. So for those that aren't criminal justice system involved and have received your services, what exactly does the Cook County Public Defender's Office do? Yeah, the Cook County Public Defender's Office uh, represents folks who are uh, accused of felony, misdemeanor, traffic, juvenile, um, and, and related offenses. Uh, we also uh, represent parents who are in proceedings uh, with the Department of Family Services. So when a person cannot afford an attorney, uh, one is appointed um, and that person typically comes from our office, the Cook County Public Defender's Office. So if you were gonna talk about misdemeanor, cause we're gonna focus on criminal cases, do you have an idea generally about how many cases a year misdemeanor and felony the office handles? Yeah, you know, on an average year altogether, uh, we approach about 100,000 cases. Uh, we have about 650 staff members, about 400 uh, of those staff members are attorneys. Uh, we also have uh, investigators and support staff, uh, social workers, uh, you know, folks of the like um, that uh, uh, help us uh, represent our clients in court. So give us the feel here. Why does every criminal defendant deserve a vigorous defense? Um, I, I, the Constitution says so, uh, <laughs> but, more, but more important than the Constitution says so, saying so, um, you know, we have a long history here in Chicago and in, in, in the state of Illinois uh, and uh, the entire country of getting it wrong. Uh, left to its own devices, the criminal legal system uh, will put people away in prison and throw away the key. Uh, they would provide tremendous harm to not only individuals uh, through both wrongful convictions, but also people who may uh, have been guilty of what they're accused of with inappropriate punishments. Uh, so without public defenders kind of raising their hand and saying this isn't right, um, this system would do even more damage than it does right now to individuals who are accused and communities. I don't think people, I don't think the media does a great job at um, letting people know exactly how harmful the system is. Yeah. And that is one thing that has always gotten me. Yeah. Okay. So there are a lot of Chicago with the increase in and uh, violence that Chicago has seen in 2000 and 2021 here. We got all kind of armchair experts, yep. um, politicians especially, that know everything about the criminal justice system, even though they've never worked in it or researched in it. And they, they have the solutions for all, everything that should be happening. How frustrating is that and how detrimental to that type of stuff that ends up in the media from all these armchair experts, how detrimental is that to the work you all do? Oh, I think for me, as both uh, a public defender, but also as a resident, a lifelong resident of the city of Chicago and County Cook, County Cook, um, you know, harm exists. Uh, th th there are people who, um, who 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 do things that um, aren't great, and the community and the government does the same thing. The government does things. 
that, that aren't great. And our communities have things that they need to protect themselves from harm. Um, food, water, access to safety, um, things that every community needs. But instead of providing those things that communities need, typically what we do is offer them prison and police in this kind of awful substitution, right? And the thing that frustrates me most is that we see what's happening in our communities and we think of our solutions only in terms of criminal justice or criminal legal system. When we know that the criminal legal system comes well after harm has been committed and it does nothing to prevent the things that we're trying to avoid. Moreover, the criminal legal system, and I think people don't understand this, only prosecutes or only goes after some people for some offenses in some places based upon where they look, based upon what they look like. So this idea that we can maintain safety through the criminal justice system or the criminal legal system um, is something that we've seen decade after decade fail. But we continue to, I guess, put our chips in, 2 billion of our chips in the basket of the criminal legal system and we receive failure year after year after year after year. So I think that's one of my biggest frustrations with the dialogue in totality. Yeah, it's, it's I 100% agree. And it's always been astounding to me how the police will complain that, well, you, you know, you're throwing too much on our plate. We're, you know, what all, this, all these things. And then whenever there's a movement to redirect funds to things that people think or their science to prove, that they may have better outcomes than, oh my God, you're a communist. Oh my God, yeah. you're taking police off our street as if, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't think it's anti-police necessarily to explain. There's only so much they can do. Yeah, I, I think that one of the, the, the harmful things about this discourse and how we approach harm in our communities is that we define safety strictly in, through the terms of police and prosecutors in prison, right? And we have a level of, of, of safety that we want to get to. And the only way to get to that is by doubling down on the resources that um, we've already spent. And quite frankly, it's a political game, right? It's, it's not so much of a policy game, right? People aren't particularly making arguments that are based in policy. They're making arguments based in political realities, right? It, 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 it's politically easy. It's very difficult. Like It's very difficult to do something at a legislative level right now that's going to reduce harm right now, right? It's very hard to do that. So what happens again is this substitution. So if I can't provide you safety, the safety that you need right now, what I can do is double down on substitutes that I can affect, right? So I can put more police on the street. I can say we're gonna double down on police. And these things, I can say that I did something even though I didn't do anything that actually make you safer. And it's an unfortunate political reality that I think has, has, has produced disastrous results. I agree. And it's interesting. I was talking to a high-ranking Chicago police officer around the time that Rahm in 2016, I think it's September 23rd, actually, when he announced, and Eddie Johnson at the time announced a thousand more officers to the CPD. And Chicago mm -hmm. had a bad year for violence in 2016, which, mm -hmm. by the way, people, was worse than 2020, by the way. 
Um, and he announced the hiring of a thousand officers. And this senior officer told me, here we go. Now he, this guy's going to get credit. We are having a really bad year. Odds are it's going, crime is going to start going down next year. And now the thousand hire is going to get credit for it even though it's going to take a year before any officers see the street. And that's mm -hmm. what basically happened, right? 16, I mean, 17, 18, 19, crime and violence went down. Everyone thought it's because Rahm added the thousand cops to the street. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we see those predictions fail before, right? Um, uh, you know, there was a law, it was a, it was a repeat gun offender law that was passed in 2017. Uh, Superintendent Johnson, you know, got up in front of the General Assembly and said, if you pass this bill, we'll cut uh, gun violence in half, and we'll do it in under two years, right? And everybody's like, okay, that's great. And they passed the law. And here we are now, obviously, gun violence has not been cut in half. And, and again, it is this reality that we need to come to grips with, which is uncomfortable, that the criminal justice system will not solve our issues, right? That is the biggest, that is the biggest, I think, hurdle we have as a community to safety. You know, the, the legal system can do things on the margin, right? I, I, I tend to think that it can reduce the things that harm communities, but that's the biggest impact. But overall, the safety of communities will not be found at 26 in California, or at the Markham Courthouse, or at the Juvenile Justice Courthouse. It will be found in how we treat our um, residents well before interactions with the justice system. And too often we're trying to find those solutions in those places where we won't find it. Right. The, re the reality is we, the police department and the justice system or legal system doesn't build schools. It doesn't provide food or employment or housing. In fact, it just makes those things harder. Let's be honest yeah. with that. And even when we're talking about people who are quote unquote justice involved, uh, or we're talking about kind of actual like specific harm, right? 95% um, of our dollars in the criminal legal system go to per, go to things that happen after, right? So again, the police, the prosecutors, about 5% goes to prevention, right? So even when we're talking about that spending, right? Let's not even talk about schools. Let's not even talk about the economy. When we're talking about actual like legal system spending, my, per, per, my idea would be that when you have individuals who have demonstrated that they are, uh, you know, uh, are in harm's way, right? Uh, they're, they're likely... To, to either be shot or, 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 or likely to, um, you know, involve themselves in, 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 in violence. We need to be thinking about prevention. We need to be thinking about what can we give individuals, right? So that they can, um, uh, you know, actually make better decisions. And instead, what we do, right, is we just spend most of our resources on reacting to that harm after happens. Now, I don't want to assume, right, that everybody who's in the justice system, right, is quote unquote guilty of something. In fact, a large majority, a large, I won't say majority, a large percentage of people actually are accused of crimes. I believe that they did not do. And I think that the evidence actually bears it out when you look at kind of the death penalty, right? When we had the death penalty, right? We exonerated as many people as we'd executed, right? Those were the highest level offenses, right? The most resources had been put into those cases, right? And we got it wrong. So I don't want to assume it as if like, you know, everybody in the system you know, is guilty of a crime. But what that said is if we're going to do, if we are going to spend this amount of dollars, I think that we can spend it in a much more effective way. Right now, we're doing a lot of harm to our communities. Okay, so let's talk real quick about bail reform because that's one of the yeah. big boogeymen. Two independent Absolutely. studies from Loyola University Chicago's crim department 
Don Steeman, Dave Olson there say bail reform is not driving the increases in crime and violence in 2021. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, if it was, why didn't it go up in 17, 18, and 19? And it, it waited three years. It was a bomb that just had a timer to go off at a specific time. But anyways, why do you think Mayor Lightfoot and Superintendent Brown keep tilting at that specific window? Well, it's not unique to them, right? The, the reality is, I talked about this before. I think it's very hard for individual actors to push a button and make our community just safer, right? Um, we, it, it took decades and decades and decades of disinvestment um, and other things to get us to the place that we are at now, right? So if you're a political person, if you're a person in politics, right, and you are being held responsible for, for, for safety outcomes, right, um, I think it is much easier to point at another actor and say, hey, you know, we would be doing what we needed to do. We would be at the place where we need to be at, but X isn't going right or Y isn't going right. And I can't really control that. And th that's what happens, right? You have essentially, um, you know, folks kind of pointing at the courts and saying it's the court's fault. Meanwhile, we have study after study after study that shows that, um, you know, quote unquote bond reform, and we should get into what bond reform means because that the very nebulous term. Um, but what we know is that the vast majority of people who are accused of offenses come back to court, right? And we know the vast majority of people who are accused, the key words accused, that are accused of um, offenses um, are not rearrested, right? But instead what we do is we, you know, we, we blame bomb reform, we cherry pick cases, there are hundreds of thousands of cases in the system. And when we find a couple of cases, right, of accusations, we act as if that is the whole of the system. When we've actually done a lot of studies to suggest that that is not the reality. You know, and it's interesting, there's, I call them alt-right websites, like C Crime and Wrigleyville or CWB Chicago. And they're up to like, we got 48 people who've been out on bond that have gotten re-arrested for a, a gun crime. Okay, but you realize the supporters of bail bond reform are talking about how it's this, these are not the people that are driving crime and violence in Chicago. So if you got 46 over the summer months and now to December, even if we, so that's six months, even if we double it, it's 100. You're talking 2,500, 3,000 shootings in Chicago. How, how are you proving your case? But it doesn't seem to, um, it doesn't seem to sink in. I, I feel we're fighting to some extent against the Trumpian way of thinking now yeah, in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, the, the argument is, you know, if the data mattered, right, and the reality mattered, we probably wouldn't be in this conversation, right? Because I think the 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 the, the studies are very clear. I, I think what the reality of the situation is, I think you, you have a group of people who just truly believe that we need to lock up as many people as we can, whether they are innocent or guilty, whether they are pretrial or not pretrial, long or short. Um, they don't have a problem with the reality that the justice system doesn't particularly, uh, or the legal system doesn't particularly help the communities that are most harmed. Um, they just want to lock up as many people as possible. And they will take any piece of evidence, um, whether it is true or not, to justify that claim. Um, they don't, many of them, quite frankly, don't live in the communities, right, uh, that are most harmed. Uh, and I only say that to say this. Um, I think when you live in those communities, and there's a you know, black, brown people, whoever you talk about, there are various kind of opinions on this, right? I don't want to act like a certain person from a third community 
thinks this way and that's the right way. But I think when you do live in communities, I think you do understand that our communities need more than police, right? You know, I grew up on 121st and Harvard, right? You know, I drive down 119th and Hofstede um, every day, you know, growing up, right? I live about a mile away. I, I can't, you know, there are things that are beautiful about that community. And there are things that aren't so beautiful about that community. And I can't say, oh, if we had three more police officers or if people went to prison 18 more months, then that community would be solved, right? That community would be like communities just across the way, like Beverly, right? There are things that our communities need, and instead of be given what they need, we give them the police system, we give them the prosecutor system, we give them um, we give them things that allow us to kind of put those problems away and not actually solve them. And every weekend or every week, every Monday morning, if we're talking about Monday morning, we see the failure of that repetitive system. Since Mayor Lightfoot has got into office, and this started a little bit with Ron, but I think it, it, it got thrown into overdrive with Mayor Lightfoot and Superintendent Brown, especially, there's this um, agenda by some, including them, to equate gun possession with a violent crime. Yeah. We now we see Chicago, uh, Kim Fox put out data since about 2014, Chicago's rated a gun possession arrest has skyrocketed. Yeah. And at the same time, their clearance for shootings has plummeted. When yeah. there's been any kind of crime, when there's a gun, when there's a gunshot, right? What do you think would, is the down the downside of considering gun possession a violent crime? And why do you think they're, they're doing this? Well, listen, gun possession, it's, it's easy, right? It's easy to prosecute. It's easy to engage in. It's easy to prosecute. Um, you, know, you, you cited some data um, on our side, the defense side. Almost 25% of our felony cases are gun possession cases. Now, that might mean a lot to everybody, right? But to me, um, as a public defender, that to me, I can't even believe it is that high. So 25% of our cases, right? People, I think, all admit that there are numerous problems going on in our communities. But 25% of our cases are just gun possession cases. And listen, I'm not a person that particularly believes that guns are the answer to our problems, right? Uh, I, I'm not a particularly gun person. I believe it makes domestic violence more deadly. I believe that it makes um, you know, interpersonal conflicts more violent. But with that said, this idea that we're going to spend the majority of our time just focusing on gun possession, not focusing on the things that actually Great harm is very problematic to me. I think what we see in our society um, is people reacting to the fear mongering that they see all over the news. You turn on channel seven, channel nine, channel five, the first 13 stories are carjacking, robbery, carjacking, robbery, carjacking, murder, 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 murder. And I think people are responding right to that fear, right? People are choosing um, to possess firearms, right? And we are arresting way more people right, that are actually conducting this harm, we're giving people felonies, we're permanently, permanently um, injuring them, injuring their ability to actually get an education, injuring their ability to get a home, injuring their ability to actually provide for themselves, only because these people have decided that they are in fear. Um, and if they were, you know, live 200 miles west or 100 miles east, these wouldn't even be felonies, right? But we could, and, 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 and this system, and I'll shut up here in a second, this system, despite giving people thousands and thousands and thousands of felonies, 
has had no effect on the supply or demand of guns, right? People still feel unsafe and still want to possess, and they still can get easy access to both quote-unquote illegal guns or legal guns, right? So we're giving people these felonies, we're gumming up the system, we're not making ourselves safer, we're making people, people are harming their ability to provide for their families, and we're stuck with the community results that we don't like in terms of harm. It's a, it's a bad situation. Couple more questions, and I'll let you go. What is your yeah. biggest frustration about how the media covers violence in Chicago? Listen, I'll put it on some on us. You know, one of the things that we're doing at the Public Defender's Office is we're trying to tell our story more, right? Because I think often what you hear, and you brought up CWB Chicago, right? You hear kind of the downsides of you know uh, of reform. It's, it's really not a downside of reform; like they get it wrong all the time. Yeah. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. You know, but I, I think that they're let me, let me say this. I, I, I don't want to get into work. What, what I want to say is that what you see is kind of like a cost cost analysis instead of a cost benefit analysis, right? So CWB will say, hey, this person was released and was accused of another crime, right? But there's no one doing any counting about, hey, this person got accused of a crime. He sat in jail for two years. She sat in jail for three months. He sat in jail for four years and he was found not guilty or he was released or he did much more time than what he was actually accused of. There are thousands of those cases, thousands of those cases, and we never tell those stories. So as the public defender's office, I think that we need to get involved more in telling our stories. We have 650 people that have been, have a front row seat to the failures of our system. So the biggest frustration I have is how we're not telling the other side. And I really hope to bring the public defender's office into a position where we can start to tell more of those stories so people can really understand what the just justice system is, its failures more holistically. Last question, because I have you here, I got to ask you, because it's actually ongoing in court right now. And I don't think the public defender's office is involved anyways. What are your thoughts on, thoughts on the Jesse Smollett prosecution? Um, and I'm just going to tell you mine first, which is I can't understand like when people are like crying for his head. And I question them, I'm like, what crime did he actually commit? And they think like, I'm supporting what he did. I'm like, no, I think what he did was really, really dumb. <laughs> and it cost him millions of dollars in acting. But I'm like, what crime did he actually commit? And they're like, what, what, what's he indicted for? I'm like, 16 counts of felony disturbing the peace or disorderly conduct or whatever it is. I'm like, what does that mean? How do you define that? People can't actually say what he did other than it's a moral violation to people and they think they want the police involved. And that this, this to me tells something about Chicago, the thirst, bloodthirst for him, even though I am not in any way supporting what he did. I read that morning of when he said what he did. I read the report, the media report, and I said, that didn't happen. <laughs> like I knew all of those things didn't possibly happen all at one time. But so anyways, I just wanted your view. I had you here. I had to ask. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, I can't uh, comment on, on, on pending cases. We don't know how the case will, will, will bear out. And certainly we, we don't want to be in a position where, um, you know, something happens. But um, I will say it is injustices happen every single day in that building. Uh, injustices that are worthy of attention. Um, and it's a shame to me that this is the case that we've decided to spend so many resources on talking about. Uh, there are people, and I understand why, right? You know, celebrity. Um, but there are some shameful things that happen in that building when it comes to our conceptions of justice. Um, and I wish those stories were told.
I agree with you. And just one last thing for me, and you're free to comment if you want. I know that sometimes in the BGA did this report of like, hey, look at all these dead end drug cases. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, oh my God, I love with it. Well, in my perspective, it's like, wait a minute. Frank Maine has been on the police beat for 20 years or something in Chicago. <laughs> these cases aren't just new. This has been going on forever. So why, to me, it's like, yeah, I'm glad this happened, but this should have happened 30 years ago. These, these, these drug cases have been dead end forever. Yeah, we accept things in the justice system um so easily um not because it's what's right or what's effective it's because it's what happens and i'm one thing i'm most excited about over the last five ten years is that we're taking a more critical eye to these things that left to its own devices the legal system will do over and over and over and over and over again right we are finally have people people have always been kind of talking about this, but it's starting to become more mainstream to critique things that the justice system just does. We've been in the silo, right? We've been acting kind of in the shadows, doing things that I think are horrible, right? That don't benefit anybody, right? Um, but we've just been allowed to do that. And I, I will take responsibility as, as a player in the criminal justice system, as somebody who has had to sit back and try to fight it, right? But had did not have the power to kind of spread this thing out. We now have people who are making those critiques that are saying the things that need to be said, that people are paying attention. It's a really exciting time, I think, to see some improvement. I agree. And I think there's I think there's a million of those things that we just let the system do repeatedly and uh, and turn a blind eye to. Um, and then every like five or 10 years, some report comes out and it's like, oh my God, I can't believe this was happening. All right. Cohen Mitchell, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm sure you're busy. Have a wonderful day. Y'all have a great day. Thanks, brother.